This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today we're in week eight of our summer message series, Colossians, the Supremacy of Christ. And when we talk about the supremacy of Jesus, we've been talking about how he is completely unique in his authority, in his power, in his wisdom. He's above all, he's over all, he's in all. Uh, in Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, kind of his thesis statement is Colossians 1.17 where he reminds us that Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so if today's your first Sunday with us, one of the ways that we've been trying to remind ourselves of this is not just by what we talk about on Sunday, but you can text two words, uh, Christian Chapel, to 31996, and you'll get a, a weekly text message, just one a week, usually comes through on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, that will either be a, a scripture from Colossians or some other encouraging reminder from something we've talked about, about the supremacy of Christ, just as a, another way for us to remember that uh, this is not just something that makes a difference for one hour on Sunday but it's something that filters into every moment of our lives. So it's, it's hopefully a chance for us to pause and reflect during the week on the truth of who Jesus is. Today, we, uh, like I said, we're in week eight. We're going to be in Colossians chapter three, verses one through 10. We're talking about the supremacy of Christ over my life. Uh, I think it's a, an appropriate passage for us to be in the week after Royal Family Kids Camp. Uh, Royal Family really highlights the need for the gospel on the ground you know, there's the idea of the gospel in the air, that, that this proclamation of who Jesus is, it goes out to everyone, everywhere. And, uh, you know, just kind of this idea of he's supreme, he's overall, he's above all. It's really, the, these statements, these truths are intended to make our hearts soar upward, to make our eyes look upward, to see that the grandness of who Jesus is. But the gospel in the air is incomplete without the gospel on the ground that works itself out in my life and your life and in all of creation. And so when we go to something like royal family, it reminds us that, yes, it's wonderful for us to, to come and consider the grandness of Christ and his work. Uh, but it also reminds us that this needs to make a difference in our world uh, because we see the effects of what happens when sin reigns instead of Jesus and we see the way that Jesus can come and kind of restore the brokenness that sin has created. And so, uh, like I said, today, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, it kind of marks a shift in Paul's letter to the Colossians. Through the, the first half of his letter, he has been uh, teaching us to look up saying this is who Jesus is. This is why uh, he is the perfect and final author of salvation. There's nothing left to be added to what he has done. And, and just kind of helping us look up. He's overall, he's above all. All things were created by him and for him. Uh, just, again, pointing us again and again and again to the supreme nature of Christ. And now in the second half of the book, he's going to start to drill down on, because that's who Jesus is up here, this is how it affects how you live down here. That he's supreme overall, but he's also supreme in all. And so today we're going to start to see how Christ is supreme over our lives. Uh, beginning in verse 1, if you have a Bible, you can follow along. If not, it'll be here on the screens and you can read with me. But Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Now, Paul begins this uh, practical outworking of our faith by once again reminding us of the, the complete nature of the salvation Jesus offers to us. And he does that by presenting this to us with kind of three realities about our salvation. He, he talks to us about the past reality, the current reality, and the future reality. So the past reality he begins in verse one. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. It's highlighting the the finished nature. He's saying this is what has been accomplished in your life. You, when you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you have been raised with him, which means you have also died with him. Now remember, if you've been with us this whole time, the false teachers who are infiltrating the church in Colossae, what they're telling the, the new believers there is Jesus is good, but not good enough. He's good as a means of salvation, but if you want to ensure your place in God's kingdom as a part of God's people, then you need to follow all of these elements of Jewish religion. And Paul here is reminding us, no, 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 your salvation is complete because you have already died with Christ and risen with him. When we become followers of Jesus, when we receive his salvation, we become participants in what he has already accomplished for us which means that all of our past, all of our current, all of our future sin has been defeated by the new life that we've entered into with him. It means there is nothing left to be accomplished. His salvation is finished and it's complete. He knows exactly who we are. He knows what we've done. He knows what we will do. And still he has chosen us as his sons and his daughters. This is the past reality. This is who we were And now Paul's going to tell us about who we are. He says, for you died and your life is now hidden in Christ with, or hidden with Christ in God. Now, because we've died and risen with Christ, our lives are now hidden in him. And I think this is a, one of those terms that's, that's good for us to spend a a minute with and try to understand. Typical evangelical descriptions of salvation are usually pretty me-centered, Right, and, and you, I've, I've uttered these statements, I know you have too, so no judgment on you this morning, but we like to say things like, I remember when I asked Jesus into my heart. I remember when I became a Christian. I remember when I surrendered my life to him. I remember when I, you know, and it's, it's pretty me-centered. Salvation becomes something that I chose to do, and, and, and though there's no evil or malicious intent on our part when we say those things, it does begin to shape our heart and shape our mind and our understanding of salvation, where it becomes something like, I remember the day that I invited Jesus into my life, which can then quickly lead us down a path of Jesus exists to further my kingdom. Jesus exists to improve my life. But what Paul tells us here is your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And so the movement is is Jesus comes to make himself available to us. But when we receive our place in his kingdom, it's not us getting a little bit of him into our life, but it is all of us becoming hidden in him. 
It's a, a total move, a complete movement. So, so what that means is Christian faith is never about getting a little bit of self-help or a little bit of religion to make yourself feel better or to deal with some of the big questions in life. But faith in Christ is defined by a wholehearted, absolute surrender, complete and total move into his kingdom where our lives are now hidden in him. And this is really important for us to remember because as we work through the rest of Colossians, we're going to start drilling down on what well, the supremacy of Christ affects my marriage this way. It affects the way I parent my children here. It affects next week. We're going to talk about how it affects the way we view people who are different than us. But all of these exterior behaviors, they flow from hearts that are hidden with Christ in God. That it's not that we have asked him to come and put a glossy finish on us, but we have instead asked him to pick us up. Like, like Paul said earlier in, in Colossians, he moves us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Salvation is all about what Jesus has done and what he has accomplished. And when we move with him, our lives become hidden in him. And that is a, a wonderful reality. So for us this morning, what that means is if we have been moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You are saved. You are secure. You stand firm based on what Christ has done. Paul then also points us to the future reality of our salvation. He says in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, this is the, the future hope of all believers, not just that we have been saved or we are being saved, but that we will one day perfectly and finally be saved and live with Christ in his kingdom forever. It reminds us that the victory of Christ wasn't just over sin, but it was also over death and the grave, and it reminds us that his resurrection makes our resurrection possible. And this is the one statement that we, the, we really have to just take by faith. We can experience in this life the supremacy of Christ and his salvation over our past. We can experience in the present the supremacy of Christ and, and the idea that I am hidden in him. And we can, we can experience that and we can know that. But this idea that one day we will also appear with him in glory, that is a, a faith-filled promise that we just take Jesus at his word. But it's not a blind leap of faith. Right? His resurrection is what makes us take him at his word with this promise that we will also be resurrected as he was resurrected, that we will one day live with him in a new heavens and a new earth, that we have a promise of one day inhabiting a world where there is no more pain, no more suffering, where he wipes every tear from our eyes, where there is no more darkness, where he is the light, he is the sun, he is the life in every moment. And that reality that, that Jesus has saved us from our past that he is saving us in the moment and that he will save us in the future should be a tremendous source of comfort to us. Pastor Rennie is, uh, is our associate pastor, and I know many of you have talked with her about different, different things that, that you're dealing with, and she, she's just a, a wonderful counselor to talk with people in, in difficult seasons that they have. And uh, in my conversations with Rennie, I know one of the things that she talks with people a lot about is their fear. And what she'll always encourage, so somebody, let's say whoever comes in and, and they're afraid of if their marriage is going to last, or they're afraid of if the sickness is, will be terminal, or they're afraid if they'll lose their job, they're afraid of if their kids will rebel. And one of the things that, that Rennie encourages them to do as they sit there with her is, let's walk that fear out to its worst conclusion. 
which sounds really depressing, right? Like you come in afraid that uh, the marriage is going to end, and she's like, well, let's imagine that your husband leaves you. It doesn't seem particularly comforting at first. Or, or you come in, maybe you're really stressed about your child, and she says, let's walk it out. What's the worst thing that can happen? You're like, well, they run from God until they die. That's a really dark thought. It's a really dark place to be. But the, the beautiful thing of, of how really taking people through that process is the whole point is saying, okay, let's walk it all the way out. And at the very end, if the very worst thing happens, Jesus is still going to be there. And the very worst thing that might happen is not bigger than anything he's done. And so, so all your fear is rooted in the what if. But Jesus has already told you no matter, no matter what, I'm there, it's finished, you will appear with me in glory. And so while we still deal with fear, we still deal with uncertainty, the idea of walking it out to the end is to remind ourselves that no matter how dark the night gets, the light of Christ will shine through. That no matter how deep the valley, his love will run deeper still. That no matter how unbearable the pain, his strength will be greater. And this is what Paul is pointing us to. Jesus didn't just save you from your past. He doesn't just save you in the present, but he will save you in the future as well. There is, as one of those songs we sing, there's no fear in life, no fear in death. Nothing can take us from his hand. This is what Paul's reminding us of. This is the reality of our salvation, and this is why nothing needs to be added to it. It's why you don't need to add legalism to it. It's why you don't need to add any other form of of man-made religion or rule following to your salvation because it has been perfected, it is being perfected in you, and one day it will be made perfect when Christ appears and you appear with him. It's a, a wonderful promise, just a, a tremendous reminder. Paul's reminding us in these, these first four verses in, in Colossians 3 that this is who you are. You are those who have been saved. You are those who are being saved. You are those who will be saved, and it will be by Christ alone. And then he starts to switch gears and show us that because this is who you are, this is how you are able to live. He begins in verse 5 by, by saying, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, stop there because Paul is not reverting to a works-based salvation. He's about to tell us some things that we should be doing, but it's important for us to remember because he spent the whole first half of the letter railing against the idea that you need to add anything to what Christ has done for you. And now he's going to say, now that Christ has done it, this is how you live it out. But, but the, the key thing we have to remember is that Paul is not telling us these are things we do to earn God's favor. Instead, he's telling us these are the things we do because we have received God's favor. In other words, these are, these are not things you do to enter into his kingdom, but these are ways you demonstrate you have been brought into his kingdom, that when his salvation has welled up within you, it will begin to push up and push out every behavior, every action, every attitude that is at odds with him. And so again, like we talked about last week, whenever you read that, that statement, put to death, therefore, whenever you read therefore in the scripture, you ask what it's there for. And here it reminds us that the things Paul is about to say about putting to death sexual impurity, about changing the way we talk, we do those things because we have been saved, because we are being saved, and because we will be saved. He then goes on to tell us, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. 
anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now again, the, the, the salvation Jesus offers to us is perfect and it's complete. And what Paul is going to begin to teach us in the last part of his letter to the Colossians is that it is so perfect, it is so complete that it must also be public. You see, faith in Christ and salvation in Christ are not just a personal and private matter. It's a a life-transforming experience that shakes us down to the very core and completely redefines the way we live. And he shows us, especially in, in two ways here. The first, he tells us, we live out these realities by putting to death sexual impurity. And it seems like an odd place for Paul to go, right? He's talked about the supremacy of Christ. He's talked about how Jesus is over all, he's above all, he's in all. And then he goes down this line and he says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And I think Paul leads us here for a couple reasons. First of all, I think he's trying to remind us that sexual sin is not personal and it's not just harmless, But these are corporate sins that affect the sinner and his or her victims. He's reminding us that all forms of sexual immorality, all promiscuity, all affairs, all sexual abuse, all pornography, they create tidal waves of damage in our lives and in our culture that wreck the hearts and the souls and the bodies of men, women, and children. As you read through, Paul wrote 13 letters in the New Testament, and as you read through them, you see again and again he comes back to the idea of how our faith in Christ affects our sexuality. And he gives very clear Christian sexual ethics. I think the reason he does that is because the Roman Empire, uh, to which all of the churches he wrote to lived in, was an extremely sexual culture. It was very much like ours in that it was difficult for Christians to live out their sexuality in ways that honored God because their culture was so completely abnormal and against it. And that makes us uncomfortable at times, but again, I think Paul is pointing us to this idea of if Christ is over all, if he's above all, if he's in all, then it affects every single part of your life. You know, at Royal Family Kids Camp, we see... The, the, the effect of people not putting these things to death. You know, you can read stories on the news all day long, but when faces become attached to those stories, it's a totally different ballgame. When you look in the eyes of a child who's been uprooted from their parents, who's been pulled out of their home, who's had horrible things done to them, and, and, and it's rooted in just disgusting displays of sexuality. They've been abused, they've been taken advantage of, they've been harmed, and and it drives home the point so deep in our hearts that sexual sin is never just personal sin. Sexual sin is always one that affects others. It's always one that affects the community. And what Paul is trying to tell the Colossians is, look, because of the grandness of Christ's salvation, he has saved you from who you used to be. He is saving you right now from who you are, and he will save you from who you might become. Then this must affect your sexuality. 
I think the other reason Paul is teaching us this is he's reminding us that the salvation of Christ is so thorough and complete that it digs down deep to the most basic human desires. And it changes that. And it, it digs down deep to your most personal and shameful sins. And it erases those. And it digs down deep to the addictions that you cannot break on your own. And it sets you free from those. He's pointing us to the fact that, look, we're putting to death sexual immorality because of the salvation of Christ. Because this is what he has done, he enables us to live in this new life where we honor him with all of our hearts, with all of our lives. Again, we're not doing it to earn his favor, but we're doing it because we've received his favor. Because this is how his people live, and he enables us to live that way. There's no part of our lives that are exempt from his reign. Paul goes on to tell us that we continue to live in this reality by getting rid of speech that poisons our hearts and destroys our relationships. In verse 8, he says, Now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Now this reminder to us is, is so wonderful and something we probably need to pay attention to on a daily basis that we must always be aware and always getting rid of God hating others harming speech from our mouths. We need to remember it when we're angry. We need to remember it when we've been wronged. We need to remember it when we're discussing politics or sports. We need to remember it when we're talking about the practices and beliefs of other Christians. We need to remember it when our family members have disappointed us or hurt us. And the reason we remember it is that Christ, his power, his salvation is so complete, it has changed the way even that we react when things don't go our way. Now again, at Royal Family, you see the effect of what happens when people don't do this. You can look in the eyes of a child and you can see through their eyes and through their facial expressions and through their body language, you can see the defeat that attacks their soul from constantly being spoken to in angry ways. From being told that they're worthless, that they don't matter, that they can't do anything right. And so one of the, the big emphasis of Royal Family Kids Camp is to speak life into these kids, to tell them the things they do well, to tell them that God loves them, to tell them you're glad they're at camp, to tell them how good they're doing, to encourage them to try new things, to build them up in your speech as much as possible. One of the other things that, that I've noticed personally the past couple years at camp is that uh, for, for the men who go, they especially have a unique opportunity to model for our campers what it looks like for men to speak to women in kind and respectful ways. For many of our campers, they have come from situations where that was not a part of their life. They maybe saw the way mom was treated by dad or mom was treated by stepdad or boyfriend or, or whoever was there. They heard the way they spoke. Their models in their neighborhoods of, of the way men talked to and about women were not healthy. And so for, for some of our kids, it's, it's very disorienting and they, they really don't understand. And I've had several conversations with them over the year where uh, any woman that I speak kindly to at camp, that I say, hello, it's nice to see you. Is that your wife? No, that's not my wife. Why are you talking to her? Like, well, because she's my friend. Like, they, they, there's no frame of reference for healthy adult friendships between men and women. 
There were some of the younger girls. This one never happened in, until this year, and I think it's a sign of the, the grays that are coming in. But I was encouraging one of our, our younger girl staff members, just telling her, hey, you're doing a great job. And they're like, is that your daughter? Like, how old do you think I am? That's not my daughter. She's 25 years old. She, I was not nine years old when I began. I didn't go into that, but that was the internal thing going in my head. You know, but again, just no frame of reference. You know, the, the only way men talk about women is objectively it, for most of our kids. And, and so the opportunity for us to come and say, no, no, no. And for them to see when, when something bad happens. Like, this is, this is such a, a tremendous thing for our kids. When, when they break something, when they, when they destroy something and no one yells at them about it. It's an alarming thing. I, I walked up to, um, to one of the buildings where we were doing some of the, the little activities with the kids and there was a cabin out front and, and just boys at camp love to throw rocks. It's what they do. And so you, you know, after the first hour or two, you stop trying to tell them don't throw rocks and just tell them where to throw the rocks. Uh, trying to redirect them that way. And so I walk up and uh, one of our counselors is there with his buddy counselor and four of their boys and three of the boys come running to me and they're like, oh, Mr. Chris, he dented that van with a rock. It was one of our church vans. I was like, all right, show me where it was. And it was the really old church van. You see it out there in the parking lot and, and it's probably not the first time or the last time it's been hit with a rock. But he showed me and he was like, here's what it is. And they were like, what are you gonna do to him? Like, nothing, like, can you throw rocks that way next time instead of the, you know, but just no frame of reference for like, well, I'm not going to throw my bag down. I'm not going to lose my mind. I'm not going to scream at you. I'm not going to yell at you. It's just, please don't do that. You know, and, and here's why we don't do that. And did you learn? And, and all those sorts of things. But this idea of getting rid of these things is such a, a wonderful part of Royal Family Kids Camp, but it's not just restricted to camp. Uh, you know, I had another conversation with one of our staff members, and because a lot of what we hear at camp is, I just wish I could go home with you. And I was telling one of our other staff members, like, I don't think they really want to, because Camp Chris is a lot different than home Chris. <laughs> like, you throw a rock at my car, we're going to have a talk about that, you know? <laughs> you come down to my dinner table and throw your food off the plate, I'm not going to be like, let's get you another one. You know, it's just, like, it's just not... Camp is all about saying yes, and my kids can tell you a whole different story about being parented by me. But, but here's the thing, this idea of get rid of these types of speech, it's easy to do in a setting for staff at Royal Family Kids Camp. It's much more difficult to do at home, at work, when you're stressed, when you're tired, when you've told that child for the thousandth time to sit still at the dinner table and they are just running laps around the living room. In all, in all of these moments, so what Paul is telling us is, look, even then, get rid of these things. You know, there are certain cultural expectations of how conversations should go. And Paul's telling us, because of the salvation of Christ, you live outside of these expectations. So when you've been wronged, it's not a license to be angry and mean. When you're trying to get a deal on a car, it's not licensed to lie and deceive. But all the time, in every way, you speak the truth in love is how Peter puts it later for us in one of his letters. But I think the reason Paul goes to these two places first, to our sexuality and to our speech, is that the fundamental change Jesus brings in these two areas is one of the, the greatest evidences our lives give to the world of the change that he has brought to our hearts. 
that his salvation is so complete, it affects us at our most basic human levels. In our sexuality, it brings self-control and the ability to honor God in this area. In our speech, it brings self-control, grace, kindness, patience, gentleness, all of these things that, that as the fruit of the Spirit are on display, especially in these two areas, it causes Christians to shine like lights in an increasingly dark culture that is defined by an anything goes sexuality and an anything goes way of speaking to one another. And then Paul ends with this wonderful promise to us in verse 9. He says, you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. You know, it's that idea of the old has gone and the new has come. And so he's reminding us, look, you can live this way. Because a lot of times we think, I received Christ, I I surrendered my life, I've been hidden with him, but I just can't beat these things. These things just keep coming back. It's like they're attached to my soul. And what Paul is telling us is, no, no, no. When you become part of Christ's family, you have taken off your old self. You have laid it aside. Water baptism is the perfect picture of what he's telling us right here. Right? When you go down under the water, it's symbolic of you dying with Christ and dying to all your sins and leaving all of that behind. And when you are raised up out of the water, it's symbolic of you moving into the new life Christ has offered. And the same way you come up out of that water, you are drenched from head to toe. There's not a dry spot left. So also the new life Jesus offers touches every single part of us. But the thing that all of us know is that the idea that the old has gone and the new has come is an easy truth to state, and it's a harder one to live out. And so at Royal Family Kids Camp, this this is the primary truth that we're trying to drive home to our kids. The old is gone, the new has come. You see it in the tagline of Royal Family, confronting abuse, changing lives. The old is gone, the new has come. Right, we, we demonstrate this every time we do baptism. And, and if you haven't been baptized, you can shoot me an email. We'll get that set up for you in, in, in August of this year. But it's just an opportunity for us to remember. The old is gone. The new has come. But what I want you to think about is in your life, how many hours and how many people have been involved in helping you understand that the old is gone and the new has come? How many times have you, as a follower of Christ, begin to live out of your old way of life? How many times have you fallen back into old patterns and old behaviors and old addictions? And and how many times has God, through his grace, spoken to you that this is not who you are? The old is gone. You are now new. You are being renewed in the knowledge and the image of your creator. This is who you are. And so what I'm really excited about for us, we're going to make some personal application for this at the end, but, but this morning what I'm really excited to share with you is uh, with Royal Family Kids Camp, we have an opportunity to continue being a part of the old is gone and the new has come in the life of our campers. You know, this was our 18th year of doing one week of camp. Five or six years ago, the, the National Organization of Royal Family Kids Camp, they They had known for a long time, and they were finally able to put a program in place uh, to not be restricted to just one week at camp, but to be able to participate with kids in their lives of helping them understand the power of God all of the time on an ongoing basis after camp. So they developed a royal family club and mentoring program. The mentoring side, uh, for those of you who are familiar, it's similar to like a big brothers and big sisters type approach. 
the, the requirements for a mentor are that you have been to one of our Royal Family Kids Camp at some point in the past 18 years. And then the requirements to be mentored is that a child has been to our camp and they're between the ages of 7, 11, sometimes 12 years old. And so the, the mentor agrees to spend six hours a month with that child all through the following school year after camp. And so two of those hours a month, you bring them to the church, and we do a, a club program for them here at the church, and that's kind of a, a, a mini camp. They're going to come, and they're going to play games, and they're going to do some activities, and they're going to eat some food, sing some songs, hear a Bible lesson, just really have a, a fun time together. And then outside of that, the mentors are spending about four hours a month with their camper. Just again, it's, it's not a super formal discipleship process. It's just a... Let's go do fun stuff. And as we do fun stuff, God's going to arrange moments where we can talk about how the old has gone and the new has come. How this might have been the way your family's always done things. This might have been the only life you've ever known, but Jesus has a different plan for you. So Royal Family put this in place five or six years ago, and as soon as we heard about it, we thought, we have to do that. Uh, but it's, it's a pretty monumental undertaking, and so we've been praying for several years that God would call people from our church to lead it. Well, last year at camp, Dave Paulson went, and one of his little campers just grabbed his heart in, in a way that was just really pretty supernatural. And by Tuesday or Wednesday of the week at camp, Dave was thinking, this can't be it. Like, I, I can't wait another year to see him again. I know where he's going back to, and there needs to be something more besides just one week. And Tamara Beasler was in the break room one day when Dave was expressing that. She said, you know, there's a club and mentoring program. And I bet if you would lead that, we would do it. And so God kept working, and Dave agreed to go, and then we needed somebody to leave the club side. So I went to Tamara and said, well, it's kind of your fault anyway, so do you want to? And she said yes as well. And, and so, so we sent Richard Bruman and Tamara Beasler and Dave Paulson out for training in California in January, and they've been diligently working all spring to set up. And when they went to their training, it was a church that had been doing this program for five years. They had 22 kids involved in the mentoring program, and they told uh, Dave and Tamara, they said, now you need to go in with pretty low expectations. Just if you can get eight to 12 people to sign up, that's going to be wonderful. And they came back and told me, I said, look, we're shooting for eight to 12. That's what they said we should expect. And just told them, we're... I mean, I'm not competitive. I am, but uh, like we're we're better than that, you know. We're we're not. No, that's ridiculous. We take 68 kids to camp, and uh, so the week before camp, we had about five people signed up to be mentors. After the as of yesterday, we currently have 26 people signed up to mentor campers from Royal Family Kids Camp, which is about the max we can handle in our first year. We still need a little bit of help on the club side, people who are helping us with the activities, the Bible stories, the games, providing a, a snack and some other things. So if, if you're interested in that or if you just want to learn more, you can stop by the table in the foyer. Dave and Tamara will be out there to answer your questions after service. But it's, it's a way for us to be part of God's ongoing work in the life of a child. And it's a way for us to partner with foster parents who have responded to God's calling to reach out to the least of these. You know, so, so some of you I know this morning, you are, you've already signed up to mentor, you've been to camp. Many of you I know are serving as foster parents. I mean, the, I fill out a lot of forms as a pastor. I, I mean, I've done more scholarship recommendations than I can remember. I've done all sorts of things. But my favorite one by far is when I get a reference form for somebody who wants to be a foster parent. 
And there have been so many of you over the past year or two that have started to do that. And it's just wonderful. It's delightful. And, and this is an opportunity for us to partner alongside foster parents at Christian Chapel, foster parents in the community, and just say, hey, we're not saying you're not doing good. We're just saying we want to help you. We want to come alongside of you. We want to join with you in bringing God's plan into the life of children who've experienced some pretty terrible things. So you can learn more about that. The band is going to come back, though, and the ushers are going to come, and we're going to finish uh, this morning by receiving an offering to help fund uh, the Royal Family Kids Club and Mentor Program. So we've already made an investment as a church to send our leaders out for for a weekend of training. We have uh, received some personal gifts along the way to help us get started, but our prayer this morning is that through our generous giving, we will be able to fully fund this so that we can be part of declaring two kids. The old is gone, the new has come. So they're going to lead us through a song as we give, and then I'll come up and we'll make some personal application for this morning's message. But right now, will you just uh, take a moment, ask God how he would have you to participate? Maybe it's just by giving and praying. Maybe it's by talking with them about serving in the club. Maybe it's getting some more information on being a mentor. Uh, But just take a moment as we give, and let's pray about those things and, and just offer God our hearts for just a moment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.